Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. What's the right thing to do to keep everyone safe? And how do we balance individual freedoms with making sure those around us are protected? Those are just some of the many questions we've had to consider around vaccine distribution, social distancing guidelines, mask mandates, and lockdowns. And now we're relying on a COVID-19 honor system that operates on trust. Trust that other people are telling the truth when they say that they've been vaccinated. Since this is a once in a hundred year pandemic, very few people have had to think about these things before. Well, Lori Zoloth is one of those few people who thinks about these questions a lot. She's the Margaret E. Burton Professor of Religion and Ethics at the University of Chicago. She's also the senior advisor to the provost for programs on social ethics. Professor Zoloth, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Professor, can you lay it out for us? What new ethical challenges did this pandemic present? There are many ethical challenges, but this one in particular has been with us since the beginning of the epidemic was this the need to trust one another, to protect one another. The understanding that your actions are not just your personal business, but that your actions deeply affect everyone around you. And now it's even um, it's even more obvious because if you're vaccinated, you really don't have to wear a mask, but you have to trust that the, that's a, a true statement, that the testimony that you're getting from other people is is real and accurate. They've, when they don't have a mask on, they're making the assumption, the, the visual assumption, that they're vaccinated and they're safe to be around. And that presentation of self has to be, we have to believe it, we have to trust one another, that's true. And there's no way to, not going to go around and check people's, their vaccine cards um, when you meet them. Yeah. And so it, it is really startling that we have to, we have to rely so completely on one another. It's a tough one. I was out this weekend, uh, Professor, and, and I was, I got to admit, I was looking at folks who didn't have their mask on and I was thinking, Hmm. I wonder yeah. <laughs> what you're saying. I would never ask you, but I was definitely thinking it. Um, how well would you say that the United States has been navigating these challenges? Not well. Um, you would think that a, a country such as ours that's so deeply invested in democracy and deeply invested in religious values, we're actually a very religious country, um, understands that loving your neighbor and loving yourself are the same ethical act, same ethical gesture. And yet it's been very difficult for us to to make that real. Now, as, and what's funny about seeing people in the street or seeing people uh, on, you know, in your neighborhood or in the dog park or something is you know that only half of, less than half of people in Chicago are fully vaccinated. And just a little bit more than half even have one vaccine. We even have one shot. Right. right. So every other person you see isn't vaccinated. And it's it's unclear to me, are they all staying inside? Are they all wearing masks? <laughs> or what's, it, what's it supposed to look I like? I doubt it. And, and I doubt it. And, you know, we, we trust each other all the time. You know, we trust that when you shake someone's hand in the old days, when you shake someone's hand, that they had actually washed their hands recently and certainly washed them after they had used the toilet, for instance. And again, a matter of trust. Turns out we don't want to shake hands anymore because we're not sure that we can trust strangers that well. So look at the erosion of trust because we have not reacted well. If we had reacted well and if everyone had followed the, the restrictions, if everyone had worn masks without complaint and understood that that was how we had to be, mm-hmm. we would have had far fewer deaths. Compare us to the rest of the globe. How, how was the global response then to the challenges? 
it, it has been um, difficult everywhere, which is very odd, seeing as the requirement to wear a mask and keep a social distance is the most minimal intervention you could imagine. It wasn't like we said you have to wear a helmet or something, or it was you know you have to constantly have. Well, when it first came in, some some folks reacted as though it was that for sure. Exactly, with enormous, we had an enormous response um, against the idea of, of mutual care and mutual aid. Now, in places where there was a national health service. Then people did rally, like in, like in the, most of the rest of the world. People wanted to protect their national health service. In America, where we don't have that unifying health service, um, we saw people's reactions divide along race and class lines pretty, pretty, in a pretty extreme manner. We saw that in Chicago as well, it was certainly initially, and even now. Look at the report that we just heard on NPR saying it's only 13% are vaccinated, of the people who are vaccinated in the south suburbs. Now, what's that about? Why is that? That's, a, that's an appalling statistic at this point in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hear from a caller now, Lori. We've got Sachin on the line from Northbrook. Hi, Sachin. Hi. Hi. How are you? Doing well. How are you navigating this this honor system? So I am uh, fully vaccinated. My wife and I have been fully vaccinated since January. And uh, despite us being vaccinated, we're still following all the rules of the game, which is wear the mask inside outside keep social distancing keep the surfaces clean don't eat uh, eat out in a sit-down restaurant avoid crowded places and the reason being that you have to look at this as an entire system and do your part of mitigating the risk so Sachin, do you have in mind what it would take for you to relax any of those restrictions as a family So that's a good question. And the first thing we need to keep in mind is that we need to do this for a very long period. It's not two months or six months. We need to have uh, enough time uh, for the evidence to show up, for the scientists to do their work. I am myself a scientist. My wife is a clinician. uh, And we just have to give the people right amount of time, a very long time, when we know the answer, we'll know we'll, we are there. We're not there yet because we have to look around the globe and see the hot spots in, in Brazil, India, uh, some yeah. uh, Asian countries, and we cannot let our guard down at this point. Professor, I, I want to get you back into the conversation because Sachin brings sure. up very excellent points. You know, we are relying on this honor system when it comes to masks. Right now, the CDC says that fully vaccinated people can shed their masks. They can start doing many things that people had, frankly, stopped doing because of the pandemic. So I want to know what you make of these recommendations. Most people, I think, are doing a bit of a hybrid. They're tiptoeing back into into normal activities. But most people I know are not all the way there. We're not, Sanchin describes the most extreme version of that, of not quite trusting that others are safe. I do, among people I know who are vaccinated, take off a mask, and I do assume that my my friends and my family are not lying to me. And if I'm concerned, I do ask people. If I meet them, are you va- if they're not wearing a mask, are you, are you vaccinated? It's not such a hard. You ask people. Answer. That's a good. I want to jump mm-hmm. on that. Is, I think is that proper I think etiquette? It's fine. Is that okay? I think it's fine. I think it's it's fine to do. I think no one should be offended by that question. Okay. It this is a matter of science. It's a matter of public health. It's not it's not an offensive question. I'm not we're not asking them like. 
about their religious beliefs or even their political beliefs. We're asking about their, you know, where they are, what their health status is relative to this one particular thing. You know, in most countries around the world, having a vaccine passport, carrying a, a yellow card saying what you've been vaccinated against is just routine for getting into a country. I have such a passport because I've traveled in Africa and mm -hmm. Southeast Asia. I'm not less free as a human being. My flourishing is, is, is can be immense, even with a vaccine passport or with a mask. And this, this idea that freedom has to be without constraint is a very problematic idea ethically. And what I think what has people confused and even troubled is we went from a policy, a philosophy that said, we're all in this together. You wear a mask to protect another person. We create a system of safety and that's how we protect each other. We create a, yeah. a safe herd immunity. And then suddenly the CDC changed the rules and said, you as an individual can be safe which was never really on the table before. Mm. You as an individual, it's, and it's a little bit like, you know, we now live, if you, it's like living in a gated community, right? As opposed <laughs> to just being on the street. In my little gated community, right? My, my vaccinated community, I'm okay here because I have the privilege for a vaccine and I have the privilege to only be around people who are vaccinated. But for the most people, and in fact, for half of people and half of people in Chicago, you're living outside that gated community. And I don't like that philosophy. I think it's a troubling philosophy, even while it might be clearly it's scientifically true. Yeah. Um, people were the first people who got vaccines now have had an enduring protection for months and months because the vaccine trials started in October and September and October. And we're not hearing that they're Very they're interesting, but, but it is philosophically troubling. And I think after really working hard to think about ourselves as a, as a collective moving together collectively to see a different way of thinking about resistance to, to disease, I think that troubles many people. It's not just science. It's also an ideological shift. Let's hear now from Christine in Flossmore. Hi, Christine. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, so I just don't trust that people are going to follow the honor system because of what we've seen when people were asked to wear masks. A lot of people would say they had a medical condition, and then they actually didn't have that medical condition. So that's why I just don't trust the honor system. Thanks for your call, Christine. So Christine says, you know, we've seen this before. People weren't honest at the beginning. Why should we assume that they're being honest now? Professor, I want to piggyback off of something we just talked about, which was whether we can mandate these types of things. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission recently released guidance on workplace vaccination requirements. Uh, the commission says that employers can issue vaccination requirements for workers who are returning to the office, only if they're returning to the office. Do you think that something like that should be mandated in workplaces? Yeah, I think it's fine. I think employers mandate all sorts of behaviors, right? You can't show up barefoot. You can't show up in a inappropriately dressed. <laughs> you know, you can't. You ought not show up with a with a with a with a cold or you know, sort of sort of some sort of horrible GI illness that endangers everyone around you. And an employer can say, "You need to go home. You're sick," right? So this is sort of a version of that. And you know, we made sure that that was the case when smallpox, which used to be, which used to kill you know, hundreds of thousands of people every year globally. Um, smallpox was wiped out because it was, you had to get a smallpox vaccination. In fact, people were arrested if they didn't have this one rounded up and given smallpox vaccinations because the world took it quite seriously. And were there dissenters? Of course there's dissenters. But one of the things that's troubling about this period in America and even globally, is there was this great fear that you would upset people and that people would become upset and that a few hundred would sort of 
you know, put, have protests or would ruin things and would go in and pro the, the, the obvious, the, the apotheosis of this was also, it was uh, January 6th, of course, when yeah. angry, angry people began to set our policy. But angry people don't set policy. Angry people don't, shouldn't make decisions around public health or around public policy. We have to soberly, as adults, think, how, what's the best policy based on the best science and the best collective knowledge and move ahead? And you know that people will be angry and upset, but that mm. shouldn't stop you. It shouldn't make you afraid to do the right thing. So what about and, workers who, who face certain barriers to getting the vaccine or those who choose not to get it because of medical or religious reasons. How should employers handle those situations? Well, I can tell you as a scholar of religion, there is no religion in the United States of America that has taken an anti-vaccination position, um, with exceptions of some um, fundamentalist groups, which have in fact done that. But within Judaism, within Islam, within Christianity, many denominations of Christianity, within the Catholic Church, Every major leading organization that represents religious Americans and the religious faith communities have endorsed vaccination. And of course they should. Vaccination is a very old intervention. And before vaccination, there was variolation against smallpox. Mm -hmm. People have known for a long time that the way to the best way to treat disease is to prevent disease. And they figured out very early how to variolate against how to inoculate and variolate against smallpox. And it was done, you know, in the Revolutionary War in this country. It was fundamental. Washington in, met, met, had his troops um, inoculated because the British were all all inoculated, and you had to not have your troops die of smallpox. So from the very beginnings of this country, as part of the Revolutionary War, was a was also a war against smallpox. And we should understand that and understand how fundamental vaccination is. You know, the Pope has gotten vaccinated and, and, and has said Catholics should get vaccinated. Major religious figures have. So to, to pull out religion as, um, as an excuse not to get vaccinated really is not an authentic use of, of, of religious response. Secondly, very few health conditions mean that you can't get vaccinated. There are some, and those are important. And that gives a stronger reason for all of the rest of us to be vaccinated, yeah. to protect the most vulnerable among us, the people who can't, really can't get vaccinated. And those people, unfortunately, will probably have to wear masks for quite a long time until there's a significant number of, of um, people around them that are protected, a, a really astonishing high level of herd immunity. I want to get your take on this, uh, Professor. Some cities and states are considering a digital certificate or a vaccine passport in order to allow entry into certain businesses or events. But at least a dozen states are moving toward banning or restricting any kind of vaccination certification. What do you think? I think it's fallen into the same political morass that we've been struggling with for a year and a half. Public health shouldn't be political. It shouldn't be a matter of who you voted for. It shouldn't be a matter of how you how you understand the role of the state. Um, when when people do those showy showy laws like prohibiting a vaccination passport, then it it's a performance. It's a performance of saying I don't want the state to tell me what to do. I, I want to be free of state constraint. That's not what this fight is about. That's not what this problem is about. The problem is a worldwide historical pandemic. And the question really before all of humanity is, can we stop an out-of-control virus? Can we stop an organism that self-replicates and mutates and thrives in the human population or not? And if you want to stop it, you're going to have to do some things that constrain some, some level of freedom, some level of, of connection. We've, every time we hesitate before that question, the, the, the pandemic got worse every single time. When we refuse to stop air travel, when we refuse to close borders, at every moment when that question was raised, can we stop this? Are you serious? 
And so, if we said no, we didn't know, then, you know, this got worse and worse. Well, Professor, uh, on air travel, that. you bring up air travel. Should there be a vaccination verification system at the global level? when it comes to travel? I think it's fine to have these passports. Like I said, there's vaccine passports in many countries for many different diseases. Whole areas of the world, you cannot enter without a yellow fever vaccine. And you have to have a little certificate that proves you've been vaccinated against yellow fever. I think that would be a fine thing to do. And Mm -hmm. if the only reason not to do it is that people will be upset, (laughs) then again, I go back to my point of you don't make policy based on protecting people from upset. Some policies are upsetting right? That's just, there's going to be people who don't like them, but that's not a good reason. That's not even a good argument. That's just a description. Any other ethical questions that you think that we'll have to think about as we continue to make our way out of this pandemic? I think we've seen a very stark divide between people that have access to healthcare easily, where it's accessible, where they know their physician, they trust their physician, and people who, for a variety of reasons, mostly based on race and class in this country, don't have that kind of access. This pandemic really revealed the barriers and revealed the the marginalization of huge swaths of the American population. I think it's going to be problematic as we go forward because we're going to see... um, while we've addressed that to some extent in the in African-American and Hispanic communities, still the rate of vaccination lags behind. Those communities continue not to have access to health care. And yeah. then, of course, we have a rural-urban divide, very profound in the state of Illinois. And that's that's a problem. What what does it mean that people in, in rural areas in this country can't don't have access or are mistrustful of access? And how do we go forward as a as a joint country, as a with a joint sense of what it means to be healthy and and flourishing, without the kind of shared understanding of public health yeah. and the role of the state? It's it's going to be extremely sad if the American South um, becomes a place that is sicker and more resistant to public health interventions. Obviously, that was the reason the CDC is in Atlanta is because for generations, the South was ridden by malaria until 1956, actually. We don't want to see that replicated, that story of the South being um, a place where you were sicker and poorer and Mm -hmm. things are more desperate. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, do you ever come to to work sick? (laughs) Can you pull it together to to not show up and endanger others? Will you remember how important it is to care for your neighbor all the time yeah. and wear a mask if you're not feeling well or not not you know to self-isolate when you're not feeling well. Absolutely. This is common in other parts of the world. It has to become common in America. We'll have to leave it there. That is Lori Zoloff. She is with the University of Chicago. Professor, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for asking me. Of course. Thoughtful, relevant, timely, important. Those are just some of the ways listeners like you describe the conversations we have every day here on Reset. Give others a better shot at finding us by taking a few seconds to give us a rating and review. Thank you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.